Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you like what you hear, go to ganglandwire.com. We need you to put a hit out on our donate button. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ganglandwire. Follow true crime storyteller Gary Jenkins on Twitter at Jenks Law. Buy the DVD Gangland Wire or download the Kansas City Mob Tour app. And now, here's Gary Jenkins. Welcome back, folks, to this, um, maybe the final episode. We're not too sure. I think it probably is. We'll keep it going and finish this off. It's, uh... The exciting and, and horrifying and exhilarating ride of Martin J. McNally from Detroit to St. Louis to the Skyjack Plane to Tulsa to back to De- to St. Louis, back up around the air to Peru, Indiana, back to Detroit, and then back to St. Louis for trial. I know you've been listening to this by all the way up to now, and, and I just told you the story uh Martin J. McNally is right here in the studio with us, although we're not really in the studio. We're at what we call an off-site in another city. We had to travel to uh, <coughs> to interview him. He served, uh, what, about uh, 32 years? In 37. The, 37 years in the penitentiary for this and got released uh, a couple, three years ago. And uh, he was Googling his name one night, and he found that first two episodes we did on this when I first learned of this story. We thought it was such an interesting story, and he liked what we did, and and he commented on my website page a couple times after each episode and gave me his email, was kind enough to give me his email, and invited us to come and and hear his side of the story and and straighten out some of the places where I got it wrong, and and I did did get it wrong a few times, so so we're here, we're going to straighten that out uh, with the words out of the mouth of the guy that did it, which you just can't beat that, folks, you cannot be that, so... I don't know who else is doing that. Say hello, Aaron, I didn't say say hello, Aaron. Hello, Aaron. (laughs) Say hello, (laughs) Mac. Hello, Mac. <laughs> we found out we were doing a remote where we interviewed uh, Craig Glazier, who's the author of The King of Sting, uh, where he was uh, subsequently arrested before the book uh, for ripping off drug dealers for their drugs and money. And a gal who apparently is a fan of uh, Gangland Wire crime stories was there for the live podcast came up to us afterwards and said, we didn't do the hello, Aaron. She liked that. Turns out that's one of her favorite parts of the show. It's <laughs> me just saying hello, Aaron. And I thought it was me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, let's uh, let's get back into this. We, we've been working at this all day long, and, and we're all tired. I know I, know I am. I knew this was going to be a long day because uh, Mac is. It's, such a, it's such a phenomenal story. It I is. mean, it just goes, and we don't want to run out of tape. We're taping off of three different, four different devices here just so we can Make sure that we don't lose any of this, right? Because you don't really get the words from the mouth of the man that did it very often. Not very often. Not very. No, often. and uh, he's definitely uh, given us a gift to uh, come forward and tell his side of this story before I die. And uh, I think people should hear it because, you know, this was a 2015 when we started doing this program. Right. 2016, and and when Martin did this hijacking, it was 
1972, which was totally a different era when it comes to things like hijacking. Yeah, yeah. you know, as it would be today, and and for the, what would really be since uh, September 11th of 2001. Right. But uh, a truly compelling story, a roller coaster ride, if you will, between not only just hijacking the plane. But uh, having somebody come in and disable one of the planes and then getting another plane and then, you know, parachuting out and losing the money and getting back home. And now, you know, there he is in court where the people that want to have him put away are willing to suppress evidence or not suppress evidence because uh, because they want to put him behind bars. Yeah. And, you know, another interesting thing about having Mike come in and do this is, you know, I was a policeman for 25 years and, and it's easy when when you see a crime, it's easy just to dehumanize somebody and just say, well, that's the other. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not me. That's not anything to do with me. But when you and, and as a policeman, you get would get to know people personally and and. You know, for whatever reason, sometimes people commit crimes. I always say, like a big city, it, it ain't a big city if you don't have a little corruption. You know, it, 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 it's not a really vital country if you don't mm-hmm. have, you have to have a, if everything was uh, good all the time, shall we say, how would you know, uh, with no bad, how would you know it was good? Yeah. You know, it's just boring. So, it, uh, you know, that, those things, we all, uh, all you guys out there like true crime. And if it wasn't for the people who commit the crimes, your life would be boring. You will kind of a of gratitude to people and and then another thing you find out is is that that people uh, who get involved in the crimes they're a human being and, and it's easy for the system and a lot of people out there to forget that that, mm-hmm. that they're human being and, and uh, hell anybody could get caught up in something like this and it, given the right set of circumstances not maybe this exact thing but uh you know how many of you out there have never done anything at all and and especially when you were young and and drinking and did some stupid things and all awful lot of us did i sure did and and uh, to a greater or lesser extent so i think it's important to uh to if we can every once in a while have somebody come in that that shows us the human side yeah of of the person that that takes part in this true crime genre that we're in well i mean you can you can read what they put in the court papers you can google search much like uh martin did to find his own name and and there's material out there none of it is his story no we got his side of it for sure and uh I think that that that's something that that's interesting, and uh, the the uh, I, it takes great criminals to make great cops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you are really going to make people rise up to to make them, you know, if you are good law enforcement people, by committing these kind of crimes. And I've said this before when we've talked about this with some of these other officers when we talk about the mob and or we talk about you know the sale of drugs in kansas city right. and uh, david i want to say it was david starbuck david one of those people that Barton. yeah that i i said that to where you know they they rise up to the occasion as good officers yeah. because they have a worthy adversary that and certainly makes it more fun when you have a worthy adversary. Well, anybody any cop can go out and pop the dummy <laughs> yeah it's catching the guy that that really plans and schemes and, and thinks it out thinks and, it out and and does that, that that makes it difficult but makes it rewarding too all right well let's get on with this this is some of the material that you had that your yes this your is about the uh, search of my home and we need this on the uh, record the following uh, is uh, ex- excerpted from uh, a letter i uh, received from my sister claire while at leavenworth penitentiary on june the 28th 1975 I'm quoting, good news. I was talking to a friend, Judy Hancock, in Toronto about you. She said her brother works with the FBI or CIA, and he uh, worked on your case before they arrested you. She said that when they arrived, when they arrested you, that the search warrant was in Washington. Her brother called her up from Washington and said that you would be arrested about two blocks from her house. Apparently, Judy Hancock lived in uh, Wyandotte, near me. She said the FBI knew that they didn't have a warrant before they entered the house, but they went in anyways since they thought that uh, your case was too big to blow. So there is complete evidence that it was an illegal search and seizure. She said she knew that they were going to arrest you two or three hours before they did. I went to Toronto June 18th, 23rd, 1975. It was great. 
It was our senior class trip. Unquote. I got that letter and I said, this is it. I'm going to I'm going to go home. I'm going to get this thing uh, uh, conviction reversed. And uh, that never happened. It was never recognized. But uh, uh, the fact is that uh, Judy Hancock's brother, uh, uh, I think his name was John Hancock, uh, was working at the FBI. He knew all along that uh, my my house was uh, entered illegally. And all the agents on the scene <clears throat> knew that uh, there was an illegal search of the house. I wound up doing 37 years in federal prison. I was totally, totally pissed off about about it, about the way the search issue was held. And at one point, my release date was 2082. I made it out of federal prison after good conduct uh, for 26 years. The parole board released me in uh, January of uh, 2010. So here I am, uh, six years later, doing very well, in good health, and I'm only 72 years old, so I may live to be... 102. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Where, where else are we going to go? So, so you uh, you learned your parole, I mean, your appeal had been denied in Leavenworth, and, and you made a statement about that. How did you feel when you learned it had been? I what, was, what was your option? What were your only option left? My only option was to uh, escape. That was it. That As far as going to the Supreme Court, we filed a writ in the Supreme Court, but that, that those are dead issues. Very rarely do they uh, grant uh, certiorari. I threw the uh, opinion when I when I got it, uh, uh, the paper opinion. I threw it up in the air and I said, "That's it. It's time to think about escaping." And in a matter of weeks, I figured out how to uh, beat uh, Leavenworth Penitentiary, and uh, I started uh, putting that into play. But it never never materialized. Were you behind the walls up there? You weren't out at the farm. Yeah. yeah oh, I was the behind the walls. They kept you behind the walls the whole time you were in. For 37 years, I your, was in maximum security uh, federal because penitentiary. Because of your particular crime, air piracy. There was yeah. no way you were going to get out to they, a uh, They considered a me farm. the worst of the worst, and uh, uh, I had it rough uh, for 37 years. <coughs> no question about it. But uh, during that time, I had attacked uh, two, uh, two guards, and I was federally indicted for attacking them. But I beat those cases. You know, found not guilty, and the attorney general uh, ordered the dismissal of one of the one of the uh, uh, cases. But yeah, I, I had a rough time uh, on that time. So you met a man. Uh, you met him at Leavenworth, and and you started talking about escaping Leavenworth. What was yeah, his name? yeah, yeah. I at Leavenworth uh, during uh, I believe it was 1975. Uh, I uh, met uh, Garrett now. And uh, he had uh, skyjacked a plane, I think, out of New York. And uh, we got to talking. Our cases were the same, aircraft piracy. And uh, we discussed uh, escaping uh, uh, there at uh, Leavenworth, uh, how we'd do it and what we would do and so forth and so on. They moved him to uh, Marion, Marion, Illinois. And uh, I, I was moved to Marion uh, in uh, 1976, hit the compound in about March of 1977, and got together with him, and uh, uh, we talked uh, about escapes and so forth. I had uh, initially uh, planned to leave uh, Marion with a bunch of other dudes, but that never materialized. Uh, the cops snapped to what was going on, and uh, we're, the joint was locked down. But uh, we got together again uh, in uh, January. At Miriam, then you could like meet, meet out in the yard. You had exercise time. You'd go out in yeah, the yard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was were, it a dormitory kind of a prison, or were you in individual uh, all cells? All single cells. All single cells. And so you were only let out certain times for jobs uh, and, and uh, the well, exercise? Uh, pretty much uh, the doors opened up about uh, 730. And they were, they were opened uh, all day until about... Uh, oh, okay. All day until about uh, eight o'clock or so forth. But uh, yeah, you could go anywhere in the in joint. So, what did your day consist of, for example? <coughs> did you have a job at Marion? Uh, yeah, I, I I had a job. Uh, first first job at Marion, I was a uh, in the paint shop. I worked there for a little bit, uh, and then I got a better job. I was a orderly, quarter orderly, where I swept and mopped and buffed uh, a corridor. And uh, I had that job up until the time that. Uh, I was arrested on uh, trying to escape. Trying to escape, okay. And so, and so Trapnell, he was there, and and Trapnell was there, and uh, he, uh, he. Did you know about him? You know, he. I read up on him. He's kind of like a master criminal, international kind of jewel thief, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he uh, is. He, he's a. He's actually a pilot as well. Master manipulator, 
and uh, a pilot, uh, and his, his IQ is uh, way up there, probably 160, 170. He's a prolific writer, but no question about that. And uh, in January, he came to me. He had a woman writing him by the name of Barbara Oswald. And in January, late January, he came to me and he said, how would you like to leave? How would you like to leave? And I says, well, well of course, uh, but how? And he says, uh, I, think, I think we're going to leave here by a helicopter. And I said, you're kidding me. He says, no. I said, well, we're going to have to talk about this. Over the next uh, couple of weeks, going on uh, months, he and I used to uh, talk about this. He said uh, Barbara Oswald would, uh, was a uh, flight controller uh, in the Army. She uh, knew planes. She would be willing to uh, get a, a helicopter. Well, you were in so you were in Marion Prison. There was a yard that was big enough that you could actually land a helicopter in the yard. Yes, the, yes, you, you could. But uh, we were gonna we were gonna uh, land it uh, between two uh, housing units, and we were gonna do that because so many dudes at Marion would want to jump on the chopper, and we mm -hmm. couldn't have that. Okay, so there was like housing, like one big yard wall around the whole thing. Big, big double fence around the whole penitentiary. And then these housing units were away from the yard, but there was enough room to land a helicopter in there. Yes, between the units, we could have landed one between us. Did he mention how she was going to get a helicopter? Did, did you have well, what we were going to do is we were going to uh, pay a uh, cost to uh, get her to be, become a helicopter pilot. Oh, really? <coughs> we were going to do that. But then uh, in uh, April... April, uh, May, they started to uh, put up a, uh, a a tower, guard tower, right in front of the prison, and uh, we made a decision that we got we got to go forward with this now. She can grab a, a chopper uh, in St. Louis uh, and bring it in, uh, uh, and we're gonna we're we're gonna go with that. He, did he scam her out of money and, and, and other women? He, he did these sweetheart he, he scammed, swindles, he, yeah, I understand. Yeah, he, he was a sweetheart. He, he, uh, he scammed a lot of uh, women uh, throughout his life. He'd marry them and leave them and so forth and so on. But uh, when uh, Barbara contacted him after reading his book, she read his book in November, December of uh, 1976, that 1977. Was, uh, the, the silver, the gray fox, or the silver fox, or something uh, like that. something the about fox something. Fox is crazy too. Fox is crazy too. Mm. Yeah, that was in my Trapnell's book. It's a heck of a book. But, yeah, uh, it's written by a newspaper reporter, I think. Uh, Elliot Asinoff. Oh yeah, right. Elliot Asinoff wrote it, but uh, so she wrote him and made contact through letter, and he he responded, and as a prolific writer, uh, he was able to uh, convince her to put uh, uh, come in to see him. He, he had her put on the uh, visiting list. So he didn't know her before. He met her no. through the mail. No, he met her through the mail. Huh. And uh, when, when, he, when he talked to her, uh, yeah, he duped her and scammed her. But uh, told her, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get out of here. And uh, I got a uh, cattle ranch in Australia. I got a diamond mine I own. And uh, uh, I got a uh, estate there called uh, Hernando's Hideaway. And he had a picture of this place. He told her all of this. And uh, what we were going to do was uh, have her get the plane and come into uh, Marion with the helicopter. There were three of us at the time, me, Trapnell, and Kenny Johnson. We were going to uh, board the chopper. And we would. there were guns in the, uh, in the uh, helicopter she had. And uh, we would have gone out of there, fired at the towers if necessary. But it would have been... Lickety split, one, two, three. Alan Barkledge would land the chopper on the ground for less than 30 seconds, and we'd be up and up and away. Did you have any idea about uh, her plan on getting that, commandeering that helicopter, or did Trapnell just say she was going to get a helicopter? Did you think maybe they had another Confederate out there? Did you no, realize no, she no, was no. going to we, we knew that hijack she, the guy? We knew that she was going to uh, grab a helicopter here in St. Louis. Okay. And uh, we didn't know Alan, but we didn't know about him, but... Yeah. Uh, she made a phone call uh, downtown uh, where they got choppers, and uh, she uh, <clears throat> told them that uh, she was in real estate, and she went and looked at uh, real estate in the area. Okay. She was going to get the choppers. She gave them a check for $500 with a bogus check. It bounced, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's adding insult to injury. <laughs> and, and, uh, and she goes, make sure this thing is topped off. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, uh, Alan, uh, Alan, uh, 
after they got in the chopper and they took off, uh, Barbara grabbed the headphones off of him and uh, uh, turned off the, uh, uh, the radio. Turned off the radio and something else uh, that uh, tracks uh, like a transponder. Transponder, that's it. So they turned that off. And she, she had a gun, right? Yeah, she had a big gun, forty-four caliber, I think it was. She uh, uh, told him, we're going into the uh, Marion Federal Penitentiary, and we're going to bring out three inmates. And, uh, I, I don't know if she mentioned their names. She may have, but uh, Alan Barklage, he's flying in at uh, 5,000 feet. And this is about 6 p.m., 6 p.m. on uh, May the 23rd, I think it was. He gets to the penitentiary, and he sees... I'm looking up, uh, looking at the chopper. And you guys see it come in. Like yeah. you guys are know that you know she's coming. She. Yeah, I bet yeah. your heart she, was beating fast then. Yeah, you see that helicopter yeah, show up. Yeah, but that, that. Yeah, we're gonna talk about this. I see the chopper and uh, flying overhead, so I know they're gonna fly south, and then they're gonna uh, descend to about uh, 200 feet, and then come over the tree line into the penitentiary. Well, what happened is that they flew south. And as they turned around to come into the uh, prison, Alan told Barbara that uh, uh, the door is uh, kind of hard to uh, open. You need to uh, open it up in flight so these guys can jump in. As soon as Barbara leaned over with her left hand to open up the door, uh, and Alan turned around and saw that, uh, and her gun was in her right hand, uh, what he did, he left control of the helicopter, turned around and grabbed that piece in her arm. That piece fired off, fired off a bullet, and it went through the uh, windshield, uh, the door of the uh, chopper, blew a big hole in it. And they struggled uh, for this gun. Well, he's trying to fly the helicopter. No, he no, wasn't no, no, flying no. the helicopter. He wasn't flying the helicopter. Like he stepped away from he the seat. He stepped away from those controls. I thought I thought you had to have control of that. <laughs> hey, have your hands on the controls Gary, the whole time. You're supposed to. This, <laughs> oh, this chopper was out of control. I mean, oh, it's man, coming down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's coming down. Alan uh, grabs a gun and takes the gun from her. Gets the gun out yeah. of her hand. And then Barbara says, "Well, that's okay. I got another one here." She uh, reached down to get a, grab another gun. Yeah, that was. And as she's doing that, Alan turned the gun around and fired. I, I, I believe he fired four times, I'm pretty sure. Boom, boom, two in the head, and boom, boom, two in the chest. Mm. She was dead instantly. Yeah. He, he, he's coming down from 2,000 feet, I think. He gets down to about 600 feet, and he regains control of this chopper. But if he had delayed that a couple more seconds, he would have been into the ground. Boom. What he said in court was that when he came to the penitentiary, I looked at all those guard towers. I made a decision right there over the penitentiary that under no circumstances would I go in there to take out anybody because I know what guns and machine guns will do to this, this type of helicopter. And when he said that. So he was more afraid of the guards shooting him down. Than yes. Anything. Yes. So as he's saying that, I'm just shaking my head. We were dead in the water before we started. Yeah, we were. We no. should have done What did that feel like when that helicopter started backing away and going off? We, did you, could you hear the gunfire? No. No, that happened. Uh, Farther away. Uh, that happened at least uh, two or three miles uh, from where we were. Now, here's the thing that really kicks it off. He killed her, and then he still continues on to the penitentiary now there's a tree line there and uh you, when you get over the tree line when you get over that tree line then there's a high whining sound and at that particular po point um trap now was sitting near the bird cage and he could see in that area but me and kenny johnson were standing next to the housing unit and as soon as i heard that high whine it was going eh, eh, i hear that high whine I told uh, Kenny and Trap, I says, now, I, I, I shouted, now, move. So all the three of us started running. <laughs> we were running as fast as we could, but it felt like slow motion. Mm -hmm. At any moment, I'm thinking that one of these guard towers is going to shoot us down. But none of the guard towers saw us. Okay. Yeah, but back then they would have shot you down. They might not today, but back then they they would have. 
No, but yeah. you're running Shack for that like space that's between the housing units. I, I gotta go. I gotta go several hundred feet to get into the into this where where the chopper is supposed to come down. <clears throat> so we get into that area, and it's about uh, seventy four feet between the housing units. So there's enough area for that chopper, the rotor, to come in there. It, it's gonna it's gonna fit into the spot that we're in. So we get into that, that area. Trapnell lays down a yellow jacket on the, on the ground, and I'm in the middle of that jacket. I'm jumping up and down. I'm jumping up and down uh, like this, like this, waiting for this guy to let him know we're here, we're here, jumping up and down. And I hear the rotors of the chopper shutting down. And I look at Trap and Kenny. I says, oh, something happened here. Oh, man, this is not good. I saw the helicopter pilot. Uh, in his uh, flight suit, he's going like this to one of the towers, you know, trying to get the attention of the towers. The next thing uh, uh, that happens is uh, one of the counselors runs out of the, down the corridor to the building. I didn't see the counselor, but as soon as I saw that uh, uh, pilot in that flight suit, I said, man, we got to get back into the uh, compound. Otherwise, we're going to be made here. Trapnell sat down and he became catatonic. Kenny Johnson, when I turned around, Kenny was already on, up on the building. And I run to the building and I can't get up the building. I said, Kenny, I, I need a hand. So he came down the, uh, from the roof, grabbed my hand, pulled me up, and then I was able to climb up the window and get on the roof. And when we got up to the roof, then we had to go down again into an area, a closed area, and then we were able to go up again. Now, when we went up again, we were on the with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Building. And the next move down is into the compound. Mm -hmm. All right. We're up on the roof and we look out. We look out into the compound and there was an officer there. Hmm. Uh-oh. Watching you. <laughs> I think his name is Reinhardt. Oh, he's dead now, but... Uh, uh, he was out there and he was going like this. Come on back in. <laughs> I said, Kenny, Kenny, we're hit. You're done. Hey, you're done. So uh, we came down into the compound and they said, come with me. Come with me, fellas. So we walked with him to the door leading into the uh, uh, building. Sit down there. Sit down there. And then when they got more staff there, then they put handcuffs on us and took us in the seg. And I didn't see Trap, no, but they brought him in later. How long did you spend in segregation then? From the from May the twenty third until July the eleventh, I was in seg the seg unit. So from May until uh, July the twelfth. Okay. And during that time, so a couple months and couple months. Couple months, and during that time, I had talked to uh, Michael Marchetto. He was considered a good convict, and we explained uh, some of these things. And uh, as it turns out, he turned, he, he's a rat, and he went to the FBI and came into court and testified against us and everything. So they didn't necessarily know that, that you were the ones involved with what happened with her hijacking the no, they knew. helicopter. Oh, they, they knew. Because Barbara had already told the pilot who she was coming to get. Yeah, well, we, 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 they knew that uh, we're involved, and just the fact that uh, we're involved in the case, uh, a, a skyjacked chopper, uh, yeah, we're hit. And, uh, were there there weren't any other hijackers in Merriam at the time? Not that we're out that where the helicopter yeah. was going out of the compound with <laughs> not out, with not Gordon Trapnell outside <laughs> where you were supposed not, to be. Not out here uh, on the yard. That's what we call a lot of circumstantial evidence. And, but, yeah, and, and in, in prison, when you're already in prison like that, uh, circumstantial evidence is going to be. We were hit. We yeah. were hit. Well, you're already convicted for two life sentences. Like yeah. you said, what do you have to lose? Nothing. Nothing. You didn't. You didn't really expect to get out ever. I, I life and. Uh, but you I, did not catch a case behind it. I heard you say that. On right. the chopper. Yeah. Oh, a big case. Well, you. Did, I, I was convicted. Oh, you were convicted. Oh, of this. yeah. Me and uh, me and uh, Trabnell and Kenny Johnson were were all indicted on this. And as it, as it came out, Beth Meadows, 
who delivered guns to the Lambert Field, she was eventually arrested. And that's Barbara's daughter. No, that's uh, Kenny Johnson's uh, oh, that, girlfriend. So she had delivered a carload of guns to at Lambert Field when you came back in that helicopter and you were going to be able to get in that car and you were going to take she, off and go she, rob banks. She, she delivered uh, two guns. Beth Meadows delivered two guns in the mail and uh, left them at uh, the airport. Uh, they were never gotten oh. because Travnell told Barbara, Forget about the guns. We don't need them. We got enough. Okay. So what else happened? Well, so Barbara dies. She takes Barbara four bullets, two to the head, two to the chest. She's dead. Three years old. Man. And she's got two daughters? Four daughters and a son, I think. Wow. She had five children. But it was tragic. You guys are in SAG. Yeah. Trapnel never comes out of SAG, according to what I read. Yeah, he didn't. He, he, he died in SAG. What is tragic about this, fellas, on May the 23rd, Barbara Oswald came to Marion to visit with him, to see him. Now, I told Trap, under no circumstances should this thing kick on the same day that she comes to visit, because her brain wouldn't be 150% uh, active. I told him, under no circumstances. She comes to the prison, visits him, and Trap comes in about uh, 1 o'clock and says, uh, knocks on my cell door. That's the way people do it. I said, yeah, what's up? He said, are you ready to go? And I said, well, uh, yeah, when? He said, tonight. It's on. I said, oh, all right. I, I knew he was having a visit. He's telling me that it's on. He's disregarding my uh, specific instructions. I sat down on my bed, and I twiddled my thumbs, and I'm trying to think, how can I stop this? This can't go down. Twiddle my thumbs. You can't make any phone calls after... Uh, Open house. Open house went from, let's say, uh, 11.30 to 12, 12.30 or something like that. You couldn't make any more phone calls. That's all over. I came to the conclusion that there was no way that this thing is going to be stopped. It's going down. That evening, after chow, at uh, 4 p.m., they usually opened up the yard at about 4 p.m. or 4.30. The yard wasn't open. I think it was about 5 o'clock, maybe 5.15. I told, I told Trap, I went went to Trap, and I says, the yard's not opening, dude. Something may be up. They may have snapped that this thing's uh, going down. I don't know. So within five or ten minutes, the yard opened up. And at that point there, I went back to Trap, and I said, the yard's open up. Let's go, dude. We went out to the yard. We got into position. And uh, me and Kenny and Trap, yeah, we were going to do it. When I yelled, now! Move! Um, all the people in the yard, I mean, there were maybe a hundred people. They could hear this. So, and then when, and then when they see us uh, moving, they knew something was up. But when that chopper uh, came in and everything happened, there were a lot of people on the fence thinking that they may be able to get out of here. Something's happening. <laughs> but it never happened like that. So, Barbara wound up dead. Uh, we wound up in segregation. The follow-up came where uh, Trapnell was able to uh, convince uh, Barbara's daughter, Robin, to uh, grab a plane. You know how he got in contact with her? He was in SAG. Did I guess send out letters? and He, he, sent, he sent out letters, and uh, uh, he put her down as a witness uh, in the uh, helicopter case. Oh, okay. All right. I see. And as a witness, uh, he needed to interview her. Okay. So he had... All, all that guy knew the prison system and he, yeah, he, he knew, knew how to work the systems. So she was coming in there pro probably every day. Okay. And he was talking to her, and at one point he told her to uh, flash a tit. He wanted to see her tit. Yeah. Now this girl's 16, 17 Man. years old. That guy was stupid. Uh, yeah, he's a real, <laughs> uh, real piece of shit. Well, go ahead with that story. It's a, uh, it's an even more amazing story than getting the uh, mother to do this. Yeah, he got uh, got her mother and. Uh, we had all that closing. He, he, he sent her a Rolex watch uh, that she sold for $2,500. And uh, we had the car in Perryville, Missouri, loaded up with clothing and guns. He had his, his uh, Barbara's two uh, daughters, Catherine and uh, Robin, helping them, helping her. Hmm. And they drove a car to uh, Perryville and dropped it uh, off. 
drop the uh, drop the uh, station wagon. Station wagon pulling. Then they went yeah, back yeah, to yeah. St. Louis uh, and dropped her off. I think at, at the helicopter station. There's nothing I could do about that. Trying to stop it on the last day. Uh, her daughter Robin. Uh, yeah, she was a witness. They had the interview, and uh, she grabbed the plane on uh, December the. No, was it November the 21st? I think it was November the 21st. So really less than six months later. Yeah, six months later, Robin's uh, <coughs> grabbing a plane in, over Kentucky or something and uh, threatening to blow up the plane. Uh, they wanted to release Trapnell. And uh, Trap, they were going to release both of us, the marshals. Marshall said if Trapnell goes, McNally goes too. But uh, it never happened. And uh, uh, somebody in the government may have been the judge, or President Carter, somebody said under no circumstances are we going to release these two oddballs. They ain't going nowhere. They don't care if they if she blows up the plane or what. Uh, Robin uh, gave up about uh, 7 or 8, 9 o'clock, and uh, I told Trap, I said, we're hit. We ain't going anyplace. So the uh, Bureau of Prison staff, uh, or was it Marshalls? I don't know. I, they took us back to the prison. I think it was the Marshalls. Transport marshals. Yeah, probably transport. Yeah. But uh, uh, Robin now, she went to court. The attorney general uh, in Washington wanted to try her as an adult. And uh, so she was tried as, uh, she was charged as an adult. Even though she was 16. Yeah, she turned 17 by this time. Okay. And what happened is that she was ordered a competency evaluation. And I believe she went to the manager clinic in Kansas. Yeah, so in Topeka, yeah. Some black dude uh, boned her down, you know, fucked her. She had a black baby. You know, she was pregnant. When that stuff... So when she that, got pregnant while she was in custody. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Manager. When she was supposed to be doing an evaluation. Yeah, they're supposed to do an evaluation, and some black dude uh, boned her down. So when this data got back to Judge Harold Baker, he said, oh, we got to close this case, stamp it sealed, and turn it into... The juvenile courts but we ain't gonna try her not on this stuff here so that's what judge baker did i told judge baker when when we when we went to trial on this uh helicopter case i told him several times it says the orders that you have been making here are stupid as there's a guilty on this i'm gonna reverse the conviction and i did life on myself 75 years on myself on uh life on uh, trapnell and 100 years on trapnell that's the equivalent of four life sentences. And Trapnell died in prison, by the way. Right, I read that. He died from uh, emphysema. Huh. But uh, at one point in this case, Trapnell came to me and says, you know, if we plead guilty, the three of us, they'll release uh, Beth uh, Meadows. And I said, Trap, I'm not pleading guilty. This is going to court. And at, at any point in this thing, we may be able to uh, escape. Take over the marshals, so forth. <laughs> but uh, that never happened. But you were able to beat. So you didn't never really were char You were charged, but were not, were not convicted with anything related to the helicopter escape. I was charged but and convicted. You were convicted. Yeah, but you got that overturned. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you documents here that uh, follow up on this and. Uh, you can read these documents. Yeah, was that an appellate in the Eighth Circuit or what? What that was, was that in the in? Uh, Seventh Circuit. Seventh Circuit. I didn't find that online. I probably could go to. It's online. Is it? I yes. didn't find that one on the uh, overturn. Yes, it's on the that. Seventh Circuit. I have to look that and one up. It's a huge case. When we when we were tried on this thing, the uh, uh, federal public defender, David Booth, was his name in Illinois. He defended Kay Johnson and Beth Meadows. And when this was over, I asked him if he would take my case on appeal, and he said he would. I specifically told him, don't submit anything until I approve it. He did a brief and submitted it. When I read the brief, it was frivolous. I told uh, Chief Judge Fairchild in, in uh, Chicago, trash that, put it in file 13. I'm taking over this appeal. I'll, I'll do it uh, a pro se, and uh, I don't need uh, these attorneys. Well, what Fairchild did, he, he trashed the brief. He let me proceed uh, pro se, but he also assigned General Block to assist me. General Block, big, big law firm in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, Gerald Slovi took the case, and he, he turned it over to a young upstart, 
criminal attorney. He was three years younger than me. John, I got documents here. But John Matthias Jr. Now he got on the case and he helped me. And with his assistance, my work, his assistance between the both of us, uh, I worked about $2,000 on the EPO, $2,000. Uh, we reversed that thing. And as you'll see in these documents, that case changed the law in the Seventh Circuit and eventually nationwide in related to pretrial and trial publicity. Pretrial and trial publicity. But it's a huge case. And uh, if I could go back on that uh, helicopter case, I think I may have handled it differently. Well, if they had those laws back when you were first charged, it might have made a difference as well because there was so much publicity to the hijacking. Here's the thing. If I had known the law in 1972 as I knew it in 1978, the case would have been much, much different. Between 1972 and 1978, I spent or got a lot of books on laters that I never paid. You know, bill me later and I'll pay you much later. But, uh, I spent uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of my own money to buy law books. Mm -hmm. And I started right after I got that opinion in the hijacking case in 72. I got that opinion in 73. I spent uh, probably $100 for fundamental uh, law books mm -hmm. from West Publishing. And over the years, I, I studied this law and everything. And it helped me immensely. This is from the law office of Jenner and Block in uh, on 1 IBM Plaza in Chicago, Illinois, 60611. If you need an attorney, call them at 312-222-9350. They're good attorneys. If you got a lot of money. Addressed to Mr. Martin J. McNally, who was at the time in the penitentiary in Marion, Illinois. It says here, Dear Mr. McNally, I'm enclosing the original and a few copies of the Seventh Circuit's opinion reversing your conviction on aircraft piracy and kidnapping counts and remanding your case to the district court with directions to enter a judgment of acquittal. Congratulations. The section of the opinion dealing with pre uh, prejudicial publicity reflects your hard work and good thinking. If you have any questions or comments, please let me know. Good luck to you in all of your future endeavors. Yours very truly, John H. Mathis, Jr. You, you were released in uh, 2010. When was that? I was released in Jan on January the 27th of... Uh 2010, I don't think we want to talk about that. And you say that your sister, sisters and brothers are the ones that went to college, but you seem very intelligent. I'm intelligent. I mean, if you're able to figure out the law for yourself. Yes. I mean, come up with these, uh, you know, these schemes that you did that, uh, unfortunately, yeah. you know, cost you a good part of your life. Yeah, well, I was stupid. I should have gone to work for my father. Selling shoes. Going to law school. Yeah, that's what mom said, too. She said, you should have been a lawyer. There you go. <laughs> I said, yeah, mom. Well, you are now, pro se. Pro se, yeah. yeah. You, were, you were a jailhouse lawyer, weren't you? I bet, yeah, I bet I you were popular. Uh, you probably yeah. did a lot of writs for people. and uh, I helped a lot of people. I helped I Carlos later. Oh, did you? you know Carlos later? I've heard the name. I he's don't know big, him. He's a big drug king <laughs> yeah. in uh, uh, Columbia. I helped him uh, work on his case and... Uh, uh, now he's uh, he's released from prison. I'm nope. sure. I didn't know that. I, yeah, he's released from prison. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he's he had his name changed. His wife uh, came over here from Columbia and a couple of three kids or so. The federal government uh, returned to him eight million dollars because of what he uh, did in uh, Noriega, General Noriega's case. Oh, really? He helped him out there. He, yeah. Oh, he, he helped him out and uh, he gave him uh, the general. But Carlos, he was right up there with uh, Pablo Escobar. Oh, I know. He was big time. He's a billionaire. He was a billionaire. Carlos uh, established the uh, Southern uh, Colombian uh, connection, moving uh, cocaine from uh, uh, Colombia up uh, through Cuba into uh, the Bahamas. He, he bought an island. Into in Jamaica. Yeah, Jamaica, probably. Yeah. I just I noticed that uh, George Yoon, uh, just the guy from Blow. Uh -huh. I was thought that. Yeah, he was, just 
he was the Peckerwood. He just white got out, didn't he? He just got out. He was a guy, a white guy that really developed all those uh, supply routes uh, from uh, Columbia up into the Caribbean and South Florida and with airplanes and, and uh, got finally got popped. And, and he spent about 30 years in. He just got out. A good uh, good friend of mine uh, recently died, uh, uh, Jerry LeWire. And uh, – he uh, he was connected with uh, Pablo and Carlos and all the all the big wigs down there in uh, Colombia, uh, and he moved uh, probably 250 loads from Colombia to the United States. Uh, he recently died. Uh, there's a book about published uh, by Richard Biggs. Uh, I got the book. Something about insanity. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, he he had uh, close to $200, $250 million in cash. Can yeah. you imagine that? Wow. And the federal government got nothing of it. They, they, they couldn't locate it. But uh, he got away with it. He died about uh, about a year ago. He was a couple months older than me. I guess he always had money on the books when he was in the joint. He always had money <laughs> on the books. Yeah. Uh, and he need whatever he needed. But... Uh, uh, he, he couldn't get out of prison. F. Lee Bailey got him for, uh, oh, God, I think five million bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the uh, head of the uh, 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 parole commission uh, represented him, got 25 grand for, from Jerry, and uh, didn't do a damn thing. Hurt him bad. Hmm. You know, figured this guy shouldn't get out. Jerry moved close to, uh, what are we talking about, 250 loads in his uh, plane. Uh, we're talking about maybe a ton each, not a ton, but a thousand pounds each load. Yeah. Wow. We're talking about a lot of cocaine, and he was paid cash for each trip. Yeah. So I think we're done. Do you have anything else, Jim? I'm, I'm worn out. I know. This has been a... <laughs> I'm worn out, too. I'm worn out. Are we still any, recorded? Anything else? Uh, where we are? I know we're audio recording. I've got this we're camera. We're audio recording? recording. Yeah, uh, we've been the whole time. And I'll, you know, I, anything I'll else? this apart and put it back together. So what do we, what, else what else do we, what else is, do is we have Is there anything else in your notepad you didn't get covered that you felt you needed to say? I can't think of anything. But I can think of a lot. Well, well, one of the things I think you... Short of going into a whole other subject, there's whole subject of we yeah. might want to come back and talk about life in the penitentiary yeah max, hey we could do that max penitentiary now we that would be that. an interesting one a lot of killings but we need to we need to like regroup hey. and and do some studies a lot of killings a lot of stabbings yeah. uh guards killed inmates killed uh and while i was at leavenworth fellas are we still recording we're yeah, still, still going you want to shut while it i was at well no you can keep it on while i was at leavenworth uh in uh, 1973 i got there and from 1973 till about uh, 1975, I think, four or five. Not very long, maybe two years, two, two and a half years. They had more killings there than you can imagine. And uh, convicts controlled the records office. And the, the convicts on the uh, yard, they always knew when somebody came in with bad paper. And uh, rapos, snitches. Rats, whatever. Pedophiles. Yeah, pedophiles. You come in a uh, child molester or a rapo, and yeah, you, you could be taken out. You come in on Friday, you could be taken out before Monday. These things happen. Weapons production, uh, CMS, a lot of, lot of weapons prepared. Uh, I don't know what's CMS. C, that's CMS. That's where you have the welding shop, the electric shop, uh, well, the plumbing shop and CMS that was at Leavenworth. Okay, they don't have that now. You know they they closed all that down. But uh, back in the day, production of weapons was uh, so so easy. You just stamp them out, stainless steel stamp them out. I didn't do any of that, but uh, yeah, you could do that. What about mob guys? Were you ever with any mob yeah, guys? Yeah, yeah. Just I watched that subculture kind of. Besides Colombian, there were ones. a lot of mob guys. I'm talking there. about Italian, La Cosa Nostra. You know, I'm talking. John about Gotti was at Merriam later on I, after you I'm, were there. Maybe I'm, while you were there. You know. No, I, I never met John Gotti, but uh, a lot of the mob uh, mafioso, they were at Leavenworth. A lot of them. And uh, there's a lot there right now. And yeah, actually, Nick Savella was up there, I the, think, during the mob boss in Kansas City. They're in, some uh, of that time they're in Atlanta and Leavenworth. Uh, I know one that's uh, he's a youngster. I won't mention his name, but uh, he's got, uh, I think, four life sentences. He was a hitter for uh, New York mob, one of them. 
I guess when you get in there, Mac, you just create your life in there. That becomes your existence. Yes. And you just cut off everything on the outside. You have to. That becomes your existence. You have to. Did you find that you had a notoriety that when you went to Leavenworth, that people, they already knew who you were because of the crime you committed? They, they called me Pirate. One of the guys uh, gave me the name Pirate. He says, Pirate, Pirate. So I, I, I had that handle uh, for, for decades. I don't like to be called Pirate, but uh, no, but uh, yeah, then uh, they did. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was well, this was you. great, and we'll get this edited together, and I yeah, will I let you know you. when it's up. And uh, if, if I can help you the other way, let me know. But uh, I got all these documents you can take with you, and if you want, okay, yeah, I'll tell, if you want I will quote, quote the documents on uh, on the air. You can do in your okay. program. We'll do it. All right. <laughs> yeah, there's that parachute uh, document. Qualified as a, uh, but that says the army. I thought you were in the navy. That says United States the army. That's what it says. <laughs> Gary, that's what it says. Where is that? Uh, it's in that. Uh, it was in that pile that I had. I, I think. think it's in here somewhere. It should be. It's right next to your birth certificate. No. <laughs> yeah. Right next to my bogus birth certificate. You have to show that to the FBI agent that was teaching you how to. Try on the airport, put on a parachute. All right. Uh, if you have, this is the last one of this series. If you have a problem with drugs or alcohol, or you have a friend, relative, an employee that has a problem with drugs or alcohol, or any uh, compulsive behavior like that, make first call your first call. Call 816 361 5900 or go to their website, www.firstcallkc.org. I think I'm worn out, Aaron. Me too. All right. Say goodnight, Aaron. Goodnight, Aaron. Say goodnight, Mac. Good night, good night, good night. This uh, doc here. That's the bogus doc. Music provided by Odd Omatic. Follow them on Facebook at Odd Omatic Music.